0: I am your host, Stephen Heiner, and as Pange Lingua recedes into the background there, um, today's topic is going to be on the Stations of the Cross. And I think a lot of times, uh, I'm, I'm certainly guilty of this, Your Excellency, this is a devotion that um, somebody, some, some Catholics only associate with Lent. And that might be yeah. a good starting a starting point for our discussion, but I know you'll probably want to start us with a prayer.
1: How did you know? My goodness, you're <laughs> <laughs> getting
0: to know me well. Excellent. Well,
1: yes, let's indeed start with a prayer. Um, the prayer that I'm ch- choosing to start with today comes from an, an unusual source. The Franciscans had a privilege of a series of Masses during Lent, on the Fridays of Lent, in honor of the different... Uh, devotions or elements of the passion of our lord the five holy wounds the shroud and so forth they also had a unique privilege because you might say in a sense the stations belong to the franciscans they had a privilege Mm -hmm. of keeping the feast of the mysteries of the way of the cross on the first friday in march so let's begin with a collect from that mass and of course a prayer to our lady we adore thee, O Christ, and we bless thee, because by thy holy cross thou hast redeemed the world. Let us pray. O God, who has taught us by the glorious passion of thy Son to reach eternal glory by the way of the cross, mercifully grant that as we join ourselves with him in loving, affectionate Calvary, so also we may continually follow him in his triumphs, who livest and reigneth forever and ever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God,
0: pray for us us sinners, now the hour
1: of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Sorrows, pray for us. us. Uh, Yes, the stations, um, well, in in a sense anymore, I think you really have to say, the stations, uh, are they just for Lent, but for an increasing number of the true Catholics who are left... The stations aren't even for Lent. Uh, they, I've noticed over the years uh, an absolute decline in the what used to be the ironclad traditional hour, the Friday night stations in church at 7.30 uh, during, during Lent, followed by benediction. And, of course, you had to do it with the St. Alphonsus way of the cross. Less and less people come. And and as modern congregations will be, they're rather impervious to any little hints or direct pleas or threats from the pulpit. So if we reduce the stations to a congregational participation during Lent, then uh, they're just going to be reduced more and more. So today, let's try to see the the stations what they are, their history, their import, their richness, their indulgences, and, and of course, the great role that that the the devotion to the Passion of Christ plays in in our spiritual lives, and be encouraged to make the stations throughout the year, just as we assist at Calvary throughout the year, that is to say, by means of the Holy Mass, just as we pray the Sorrowful Mysteries, uh, throughout the year. But the stations in June, uh, Stephen, a brilliant and an inspired choice. I came across something in my reading about um, St. Teresa. I'm doing a series of sermons on St. Teresa. Uh, I started at the beginning of Lent, and I just like her so much that here it is after Pentecost, and we're still on St. Teresa. Something, An incident happened in her life um, on Friday, the fourteenth of June, so that, so the days of the week were were, were the same as they are uh, as they are this year in two thousand and thirteen. She was making the stations of the cross in the chapel of the Carmel at Lisieux, and um, had just begun. She was just making them by herself as an act of private devotion when. Um, she experienced her wound of love, the transfiguration of her soul. I had just, be- uh, she writes, I had just begun the stations of the cross in choir, when all at once I felt myself wounded by a shaft of fire, so strong that I thought it would kill me. That's very, very similar to the uh, mystical experience of uh, Padre Pio uh, during his Thanksgiving after Holy Communion, when, um, which was a prelude for him receiving the, the stigmata. But it's interesting, St. Teresa, making the stations, making the stations by herself, making the stations in June. Interesting. They are a wonderful source of um, spiritual life and uh, spiritual uh, strength for us. And um, like as with so many devotions, they need to be better understood and they really need to be revived because they possess the power to revive us. The big saint of the Stations of the Cross is St. Leonard of Port Maurice, an important character in the life of the Church, especially in Italy, uh, but also in France, during uh, the um, approximate time of the American Revolution, say the late 1700s. And um, he himself uh, would preach the stations, and it became established for the Franciscans throughout Italy that wherever they preached, they would, they would preach the stations of the cross as a, as, a, as a part of the mission or a spiritual revival of a given place or a given parish. And he himself personally set up and blessed. The technical term is erected. The stations of the cross in almost four uh, to five hundred churches throughout Italy during his um, during his lifetime. And he did it because uh, not only because, as I mentioned a moment ago in, her, in the introduction, that the stations kind of belong to the Franciscans. We'll see why that is in this program. But also because he saw the the tremendous power that the stations of the cross have. To revive piety in a soul and to speak to the soul in some in some sort of a in some sort of a, a very piercing and a very beautiful and very personal way too, really a personal way too well the um, stations of the cross interesting while the stations belong to the Franciscans, nevertheless, in one of the interesting little ironies of life, they Took their permanent form as the result of the devout writings of a man, uh, a Carmelite friar, a lay brother, John of John Pasca, who himself never visited the Holy Land, but followed uh, the devotions of his day and was inspired to uh, reduce them to the fourteen, the specific fourteen stations of the cross that uh that that we follow still today after this um, John or Jan Pasca comes a certain and, and who is also well known for the the fourteen stations of the cross as we uh as we have them today um, the stations of the cross uh i before I go into sort of a, a rule, or, uh, maybe a few spiritual rules that explain things we, we've talked about already in the way of devotions, like the scapular uh, or the other things that we might talk about in a future show, like the, the rosary and, and the um, uh, the little office of Our Lady, there, there are certain spiritual rules about that. But before I talk about that, I'd like to talk about the word itself, stations, Uh It appears in Christian literature from a from a very early day and always with a sort of a liturgical meaning hanging about it or signification it is from military Latin Roman military vocabulary it designates an outpost particularly uh, night sentry duty at this or that particular place so you have the idea right away of the night and keeping watch very important in early Christian life, and it should still be very important for for Catholics today then, with um, the coming of the second century, already there was connected with it this idea of staying at your post and watching, keeping vigil that of course, what also you 're going to do why you 're going to fast um, one of the earl- one of the earliest uses of the of the term stations in in the history of the church are the vigils that were kept uh, during the night until an early morning mass at dawn at the tombs of the martyrs. Of course, that gives us so much. That's the story of the catacombs, the story of the altar stone, and the story of of, uh, really much of our... Of our sacred liturgy and the liturgical tradition so the station by the time of st cyprian maybe comes to refer to the to the people coming together to celebrate and to celebrate solemnly on certain feast days or solemn occasions originally the anniversaries of the deaths of martyrs which is the origin of the, of our calendar our liturgical calendar it has to do with then uh, already what we see and you see it still in the missal today you see station at St. Anastasia, or station at St. Paul without the wall, something like that. That finally came to denote um, the meeting place where the faithful, to which the faithful would repair, in a solemn procession, along with the pope and the clergy of Rome, barefoot, a sort of a penitential procession, chanting uh, the litany of the saints. That's that's the meaning of what you see in In your missile, and the the choice of a particular church for a stational mass influences very much um, very much the text of the mass so for example when there's a station at St Lawrence, you might find some reference to uh, Somebody being St. Lawrence was barbecued to death, some, some scriptural reference to, to being grilled or roasted for our Lord. Um, and that, that's interesting how, how the church always makes a connection between the two, but that's the idea of station, and that's the, the origin of station, but it's, um, it's connected, and then this is more our connection now. it, it uh, also means uh, a place where you stop. In a procession, and you stop there because that particular place calls for special veneration. And so, very often in in, in medieval processions, the procession would stop, say, like in the Rogation days, a procession would stop at a particular chapel uh, where there were maybe relics, or there's a particular devotion, and the uh, commemoration of that saint or that mystery would be sung. So that, too, is the idea of station, the idea of stopping and venerating someplace. And, of course, right away that would lead us into our idea of the modern um, way of the cross. Um, Then it is also interesting for me to talk a little bit about, and I hope it's interesting for you, too, talk a little bit about stations uh, in the history of the church in Ireland until... Well, until sometime during the 19th century, the Irish faithful and clergy had their stations. Uh, each parish did, uh, particularly uh, during Advent before before Christmas, and then during Lent before before Easter, in view of performing the Easter duty. This goes back to the to the era that lasted for centuries, when there were no regular parish churches anymore. And while the while the faith always thrived in Ireland, very often the the external circumstances were pretty much the same as they are for traditional Catholics today. Just starting to meet in a place, and meeting in somebody's home, because there there wasn't really any other place where the mass uh, could be offered. So. A station in, in Irish church history meant that Father would be saying Mass at, say, uh, uh, McGillicuddy's house, Gil McGillicuddy's house, on um, Thursday morning at uh, 8 o'clock. So that that's the station. Father would go there perhaps the night before and start the confession so that everybody in the region would know about it, uh they would come uh they would go to confession, and then, in the morning, Father would have more confessions, and then he would offer mass and distribute holy communion. interesting too to note that of course, obviously, for the Megilillicuttes it was a very great honor that their home customarily was chosen because it was large enough and decent enough to receive the uh, the Catholics in the neighborhood for mass then it was also the job of the um of the host at the stational chapel, in effect, to provide breakfast for the priest. So you had to feed the priest, and then once the priest was fed and was on his way on his horse again, then that was the end of the stational observance. So that's another concept of the word, of the word stations. Stations of the cross. It has a very rich history, and it's um, while the stations of the cross are not liturgical, they're absolutely in the uh, in the spirit of the liturgy. Um, Next, there's something to be said about uh some principles or some rules that govern uh the govern the the practices of piety or the devotions. Um Father Thurston, this is Father Thurston's theory, he was not Interesting character. He was a Jesuit. Uh, turn of the century in England, about 100 years ago, is when he thrived. He had some slight modernistic tendencies. I think you can say that. You see that especially in his revision of Alban Butler's Lives of the Saints. Uh, he was and he was a great researcher, great historian, a great writer. Um, and he says he points out that uh, the very popular devotions that we Catholics have today. Have all started not so much as a sort of a spontaneous uh act of piety as an imitation an imitation uh a substitute for something better um, because as we know, we don't ever want as Don Bosco said, we don't ever want to let the uh the better be the enemy of the good. So therefore, for the good Catholic faithful, there's always been this this tendency, while respecting that which was better, that which was indeed best in their lives, nevertheless, they wanted to get in on it somehow, uh, in, in in some little sense. So you see that, that's the story of the scapular, isn't it? That the lay people wanted to get in on the life of the religious, especially on their graces, especially on the indulgences, and to be at least somehow to be considered as honorary members of the order, and maybe to have the grace, as Franciscan tertiaries did, of being buried in the holy habit of the order of the Friars Minor. So it was an imitation and a simplification, a reduction. That's, of course, the origin of the rosary. For centuries, it was understood that the oh, the high point of piety... Was to recite, as the Irish monks often did, but other other religious too certainly, and hermits throughout history, to recite the 150 Psalms of David every day. By the eighth century in Europe, there were uh, uh, monasteries, both of, of monks and of nuns, which had uh, the continuous recitation of the Psalter. In effect, you, were, you, 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 you took your turn on the schedule and you were in choir, and you would chant not only the divine office of the day, but also all of the other psalms, that, so that in the course of 24 hours, the 150 psalms of David were chanted. Well, but for those who couldn't read, and those who didn't know, know Latin, which was the vast majority of the faithful, that was an impossible goal that inspired that idea, by the way inspired saints like uh, St. Saint Pascal Balon, to... Uh, to learn how to read, get pastors by, to show him uh, the meaning of a word, word by word, so that he could, he could learn how to read because he wanted to read Latin, so that he could say uh, the little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary. For the, for, but for most of the faithful, this idea of being able to replace, the, uh, imitate but yet replace the Psalms of David with Mary's Psalter, which would be the recitation of a certain number of Ave Marias, Hail Marys, and of Our Fathers it was a very attractive one, and that gives us, in effect, uh, the the um, inspired origin of the Rosary. From our point of view, obviously, Our Lady's role in it is uh, is another question. But in in effect, Our Lady blesses this foundation of. Our Lady's uh, Psalter. I mentioned a moment ago the Little Office. The Little Office, the same idea for those who could read, uh, but didn't have that much time. They were maybe seculars living in the world. Well, then the quasi-liturgical form of prayer was to say the Little Office of Our Lady in. Uh, Latin, or later on, the vernacular had the form of the office, the same hours, but it was much, much shorter and much easier and less variable, and therefore could be more easily uh, learned by heart, say, memorized. So you always have that idea, you see, with the, um, with the state, with the, uh, with, with devotions in the Catholic Church, some form of simplification and some form of, um, imitation. So, uh, Maybe that brings us to the stations. What was being imitated and what was being simplified? Why, it was the pilgrimage to the Holy Land. In in Catholic history and in world history, you couldn't overemphasize the historical import of this idea that goes back to the 4th century to uh, Egregia, who was one of the first uh, pilgrims to the Holy Land, St. Jerome, another one from the same era, and obviously following in the footsteps of St. Helena, who found the true cross there. The Catholic desire to visit the holy places with, with love and with devotion, so that when they were taken over by the Muslims and eventually ruled by the Turks, then uh, there, was, there were all sorts of difficulties and conflict, and eventually, they were closed to the Christians, and that leads to the Crusades and the Crusades and such influence on on all of the history of the West. Um, that takes us to the the role of the Franciscans, because since the time of the of the of the Crusades, the Franciscans, a new order founded by Saint Francis, who himself went on pilgrimage to the Holy Land, made a favorable impression on the Mohammedan rulers there and was able to achieve then some sort of an in that the other religious orders did not have. So they were able to survive by, by dint of great diplomacy and much care, and probably a lot of bribery too. The Franciscans were able to survive all of these centuries of Mohammedan domination after the Catholic crusaders were driven out during the Middle Ages and while the Holy Land was under um, Mohammedan rule for centuries. So then, you had groups of pilgrims that would come, at great cost to themselves, and obviously great danger, because travel, as it is still today, is is a difficult and a, and a dangerous prospect. You know who would want to go to the Holy Land today? and Think about that. How dangerous that would be. You you might get blown up at at any step of the way, and even if you don't get blown up, then you have to deal deal with the. Um, the anti-Christian attitude of the uh, of the Israeli government and the and, and the people who live in, in in current Palestine today, and the fact that Christianity is almost pretty much um, pretty much died out there. So you have these pilgrims who are willing to make all these sacrifices and go so far. And uh, that was that was a real part of Christianity, uh, the idea of making a pilgrimage out of devotion, or particularly out of penance. They say that one of the knights who slew Saint Thomas a Becket went to the Holy Land and left his mark, his name there, as part of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, being went there as as an act of penance for the the sacrilegious crime that he had committed at, at Canterbury. And this, cause Catholic feeling was the sentiment was so strong, that you had um, we had the Crusades. You had popes outraged, kings, princes, uh, uh, Catholics outraged at the thought that the holy the holy shrines were in the hands of the infidel, and that therefore we had to we had to we had to um, raise up an army and go over and reconquer them. And that's that's obviously a separate. Chapter of Catholic history, but that's a little bit the spirit that you have to keep in mind. This, this impetus, this uh, this great pull that the sacred shrines of Christianity, the, the, at our birthplace, the Holy Land, have always uh, have always influenced. So, uh, but after things settled down after the end of the Crusades and during the later Middle Ages, the beginning of the Renaissance, the Franciscans were still there, and the Franciscans. Uh, had a had a program that they would work out with the um, with the pilgrims that would come and it was a very delicate balancing act because the Turks who had the city of course didn 't believe in our Lord they specifically denied our lord 's um, crucifixion and uh, Nevertheless, there was a an, an accommodation that was made for uh, Catholic pilgrims to go and to visit the Holy Land, very discreetly, under the care of the Franciscans, who had absolute authority there, and it was done, sort of in at nighttime and almost in a in a spirit of, of hiding. Uh, the The pilgrims would come; they would be met by the Franciscans and also met by the the Turkish rulers, and um, obviously payments were made and they were only allowed to spend about a day, two days, in Jerusalem, and then they were bundled off. Uh, The Franciscans were very careful about that. No one could stick around. Uh, St. Ignatius himself uh, talks about that, how his his piety would have wanted to stay a whole lot longer, but he couldn't because the Franciscans were having none of it. They were very strict about it. This This was what was going to be done. So the pilgrims were locked into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre by the Mohammedan family that had the key. Of course, some Mohammedans still today have the key in Jerusalem. And then there was a program and certain rules that they had to follow during the night hours. And then before dawn, they made the Via Dolorosa, the Sorrowful Way, which is one of the possible origins of the Way of the Cross. And it was done by uh, torchlight and with candles, and they probably couldn't even see all that much but that's this is in a historical origin of um of the the way of the cross, and that's what was being replaced by uh, a simple act of devotion that you could make in a in your church maybe in the course of half an hour or if you do it privately even even much less time. And the the idea always is that something greater, something better, now by the indulgence of the church, is reduced to something very easy, accessible, simple, and the indulgences are given uh, for the simple act that were once uh, given only after the completion of a very, very um, entailed penitential, dangerous, and uh, sacrificial act, uh, it's a little bit like the idea of the the the, the, uh, the partial indulgences. Uh, they used to be measured in terms of quarantines of 40 days, and that's a Lent. And 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 those uh, those day three hundred days, those were days uh, days of penance that were given for the committing of public mortal sins, and then for a Catholic to expiate for that, for the temporal punishment due to that sin, would perform, would perform this devotion. But in time, the Church then, by, the, by this principle of, um, of reduction, the Church just um, reduced uh, the, uh, the, the requirements to the saying of a prayer under certain conditions, and then that which was once given only for a year's worth of penance, now is given for the devout recitation, which maybe takes a minute or less of a certain prayer. See, it's always this, this idea of uh, of imitation, and then of uh, and then of reduction. Hmm. Stephen, let me say at this point: any questions so far?
0: No, it's been it's been fascinating to hear about it. And, and with with any devotion that has come down to us in its present form, you always know that there's a, a deeper story behind how it developed, yeah. And I think it's been really interesting to hear hear that felt by you. Good. Um, So uh,
1: that's in in a sense that's the story, and then takes us to um, then the story after that takes us to this Carmelite friar in in Flanders, and what is today Flemish-speaking Belgium. Interesting. uh, Flanders was such a strong, strong Catholic uh, center of life and of devotion, and. thanks to the, the Spanish occupation, was able to avoid uh, many of the effects of, uh, of the Protestant revolt and, and gives us some of these treasures, specifically, as I say, the um, 14 stations of the cross, such as are, are set up now and recognized by the authority of the Catholic Church. Before that, there were, there were many... Um, there were many ways of doing it. there was a, there were the uh there was a seven stations that were very popular, as there are still today the seven stations of Our Lady of Sorrows and then then there were much longer ones, Ways of the cross the um uh, convent of a very ancient convent of nuns of English nuns called the Ladies of Bruges at Bruges in Belgium had um in their in their documents. A, a, a way of the cross that was that was made up with many stations, and you visited, in, in effect, all the different places around the convent and on the convent grounds and the cloister and in the church and so forth to make this uh, longer way of the cross. Um, some of the some of the stations of the cross and some of the concepts behind them, as with many devotions over the centuries, simply died out. Father Thurston calls this the principle of the, the uh, survival of the fittest, which is interesting. But I, I think it's... Uh, he says, though, it really it's a matter of that, that that which survives is that which appeals most to the piety of the faithful. And I would add to that, that which is guided in the Catholic Church by the Holy Ghost. So anything that, that is ineffective... Um, questionable orthodoxy dies out after a while for example there was um, for centuries a veneration very strong in Flanders there were even feast days in in particular in missals in in certain dioceses Uh, in in the Latin it was called despasmo beati Maria Virginis of the fainting of the Blessed Virgin Mary and there was a there was a stone along the Via Dolorosa the original way of the cross where where Our Lady is supposed to have fallen uh, when she meets Our Lord on the way to the cross. And uh, Catholics would try to kiss the stone in veneration. But if there were any Mohammedans nearby, they considered it almost uh, obligatory to kick any Catholic who who knelt down to kiss that stone to honor Our Lady at the fourth station of the cross. Um, But later on this idea which had generated from terrific amount of poetry and devotional prose to this idea that our lady fainted died out because it's not consonant with scripture uh because st john says our lady stood staba Santa maria our lady stood at the cross and the idea of the fortitude of our lady uh that prevailed over the idea that she was so overwhelmed with sorrow that she fainted. Sometimes in pictures, even pictures of Stations of the Cross, you see Our Lady sort of swooning, spasmo probably is better translated as swooning, swooning in the arms of Saint John. Saint John kind of catches her, or Saint John holds her. But that—that's a an old medieval Renaissance concept that really has died out, because it's not really consonant with our view of Our Lady during her sorrows. Interiorly, Our Lady is undergoing this this martyrdom of of, a, of more than a thousand deaths, but exteriorly she stood. She was strong. She was. She is the very strongest example of fortitude that uh, that we have. So in the in the way of the cross, we do have um, we do have some some that have died out, and uh, others that have uh, others that have um, other ideas that have. Really caught on to popular Catholic imagination and been very 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 strong um, saint Veronica, for example, and this this whole idea of the devotion to the holy face of our lord uh, veronica 's veil in the in, in in the vatican what a what a magnificent and and rich history and Veronica herself i mean obviously the name the name is a combination of Greek and Latin uh, vary, and then Icona for a uh, true image. But um, Veronica herself is uh, could never be doubted by a Catholic as to her historical existence. Um, and the, that station where Veronica bravely goes to offer reparation, in effect, to wipe the holy face of our Lord, is, is one that has inspired so much in the way of... Uh, Really fruitful devotional prayer, very very moving, very effective, uh, very very touching. That uh, you couldn't imagine the stations without Veronica and Veronica's Veronica Vale or or Simon of Cyrene, that would, would be the same thing. Uh, w- what a richness is to be found there. Where did these, uh, where did these, you know, these, these stations then come from? O- originally, uh, that, that's, a, that's that's an interesting question. And You have to say, that's an example of tradition that has simply been passed down. Origin um, is something to say about Eusebius. St. Jerome, who lived in a cave uh, next to the cave of the Nativity at Bethlehem, they all bear witness to what has been pretty much then a, a constant, steady Christian tradition since the beginning. I wonder myself, though, because... Uh, Titus Vespasian destroyed, burnt the city of Jerusalem. It was about 70 AD after the final Jewish revolt against the Roman Empire. And then for a number of years, there was nothing there. And then the Romans rebuilt the city as, uh, I think it was Capitula Aeolina. Um, and by then, the, the, the shrines were long, long buried. But there must have been a constant almost or maybe quasi inspired catholic tradition this is where the via dolorosa was uh, and then you add that to uh, the uh, the archaeological ruins that were found this was obviously this is the this is the place of the of the praetorium of Pontius Pilate for example and here obviously is is mount calvary and and this is the holy sepulcher itself so probably those two factors together uh, are along with the um, along with the the uninterrupted un, uh, Catholic tradition of visiting the holy places. That's how we get our Stations of the Cross. That's how we get our our fourteen stations today. <coughs> and so then it's a very very easy thing for you to go on that on that pilgrimage. Uh, which reminds you that your life is uh, a procession, a procession in which we are meant to accompany our Lord and to derive derive all of the all of the spiritual benefits from it. So you could just as well make the way of the cross in in June, and you should, as at any other time of the year, or as uh, during um,
0: during Lent. Um, you know, Your Excellency, it's one, it's really interesting in, in terms of you've talked before about how the church accommodates uh, the faithful whether they be illiterate or whether they don't have the means to travel as you're talking I, 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 I'm i sure I've thought about this before but perhaps not in the most concrete way as you've sort of developed this uh, for me as a, as a free trip to the Holy Land right mm-hmm. uh you know i'm am yeah, a peasant fact, yes. I live uh, or not even today you know there's plenty of people who are never going to be able to get to the Holy Land before they die, and sure. it's a it's a free trip, so you get to go there, you get to experience and think about how that went, you can imagine it, you can build it out in your mind mm-hmm. and uh and travel there as as part of your devotion yes and and that's
1: that's all an element of the uh of the Ignatian spirituality, Saint Saint uh, Ignatius the Devotio Moderna, and the whole Jesuit approach to to meditation, the composition of place. Saint Ignatius insists, What was it like? What did it look like? Who was there? Who was doing what? What were the colors? What were the sounds? Put yourself there. For him, that's uh, in his in his uh, school of spirituality, that's an essential for one, one of the essential first steps towards making a good and a fruitful Uh, meditation because, in effect, it ties down your imagination. So instead of betraying you, now your imagination is harnessed to serve your piety and then therefore becomes very, very helpful. Obviously, if one has ever had the privilege of making an actual pilgrimage to the Holy Land, then you 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 know you know what it's you know what it's like, and then that's it. People have told me I went there once on a pilgrimage with a group of traditional Catholics in the mid 1980s, and uh, people have said how much that has helped them to visualize uh, throughout the course of the church year and during devotions to, to visualize these different places because you were actually there. For example, uh, I wanted to mention this. I found it very interesting the the idea of the. Uh, the Mohammedans, Turks, there in Jerusalem, you know, they they were hostile, they were blasphemous, they were insulting, and they held all the power. But nevertheless, there was an accommodation. They did allow the Christian pilgrims to come, um, making the way of the cross in what is. Obviously, an entirely different city from the time of our Lord, nevertheless really has the sense of what it must have been like on Good Friday. For me, that was one of their, I have several i want to I want to talk about in the program uh, but that that was one of my memories that I found uh, uh, very, very moving and, and surprisingly so. That is to say, so you, you uh, the, um, somebody gets a cross from the Franciscans and then you, you make, uh, the, the way of the cross together, your particular group. So we're making the way of the cross at the traditional stops as identified today by the, by the Franciscans. And, um, life is going on in the streets of Jerusalem. There are, uh, Most, mostly, there are Jews, and then Mohammedans or Arabs, uh, Palestinians, and they're going about their business. They're they're buying things and they're selling, and they're going from one place to another. And there you are, you with a a group of people who are pilgrims, who are carrying a a life-size wooden cross, uh, and you're trying to make uh, a, a devout. Way of the cross. You're not in church anymore, and how wonderful it is! Like people are jostling you, and people push you, and they shove you, and it's hard to get through narrow streets because of all the commerce that's going on there. And you think to yourself, it must have been just like that when our Lord was making the way of the cross. Well, that's a, uh, that's an assistance or a memory that that could stay with your whole life long, uh, your whole devotional life. It's a little bit like watching. Uh, Mel Gibson's film on the Passion of Our Lord, that provides so much assistance for this composition of place. Again, it's very, very helpful, um, and it really does, uh, really does promote uh, promote devotion. I had um, an unusual experience when I. Uh, the first, my first morning in in Jerusalem, it was um, Christmas time. It was December 28th, and it was a Saturday morning, the, the, the day that our Lord was in the uh, was buried in the tomb. Um, and I had this desire to visit the Holy Sepulcher of our Lord. So uh, because I've always, I've, that's always been a devotion of mine, the burial of Christ, the Holy Sepulcher. So I set out, I get up early in the morning, I set up all by myself, uh, everyone else is still sleeping, I think, in the, in the hotel, which is a little Arab Christian hotel we were staying at, and I just go down into the streets, and somehow, with, in these winding streets, the early morning, without a single wrong turn, I find my way to the Holy Sepulchre. It must have been my guardian angel, I'm sure, that, that led me there. And then, uh, going in, then I find my way, again without any false turns, to the Holy Sepulchre of our Lord, not only the Basilica, but now, now the, the, the shrine itself. This is the Holy Sepulchre, the tomb. And it's empty. It's Saturday morning about 8 o'clock, and there's no one there. It's open. Candles are burning. There's no one there. So I'm able to go right in, kneel down, kiss our Lord's sepulchre, and pray, conduct my devotions for as long as I wanted to. I visited the sepulchre a number of times uh, with the faithful uh, afterwards, and um, each time there was a long line, and there would always be a schismatic priest there, I guess they had the rites, who would then look askance at any, at any Catholics who came in, and I think they would they would try to cage money from you as well um, so it, it, you were the whole time that you would pray there there you were under the eye, the disapproving glance of in this case uh, some sort of a schismatic the uh early christian pilgrim the medieval Christian pilgrims talk about how they were under the under the eye of the Mohammedans, but that same uh they were staring at you. The whole time, then I remember going there on on a Sunday as part of the pilgrimage uh, We had Sunday morning free and praying there with the schismatic priest there and then hearing the beating of staffs or staves on the floor of the basilica the 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 Greek Orthodox patriarch of Jerusalem was coming to conduct his divine liturgy, and he would always. I think ceremonially make a, a visit to the Holy Sepulchre first. And so you hear this gradually louder beating of staves and the schismatic priest who's in the sepulchre gives me a look. He just gives me a look which is which was as as if to say, Get out and I knew I had better leave and then in comes this little procession and they begin they begin their uh their services, but all of that, uh, even modern day pilgrimage just 20 30 years ago, gives you, I think, gave me certainly a sense of, of what it must have been like for the pilgrims, and even going back then to a certain degree, what it was like then uh, for, for our Lord Himself. So um, that's one thing this you know, a modern idea of the composition of place.
0: <laughs> you know, Yersley, about that composition of place. One of my concerns, sometimes, about watching, let's say, The Passion of the Christ or uh, Jesus of Nazareth, too much, is because I don't want to uh, be picturing, you know, be in prayer and then uh, imagine our Lord as Jim Caviezel. You know, sometimes <laughs> you can be bound, you can be bound to your imagination in that way. So I think I'm a bit. Sure. Am I am I am I being am I being oh. too reactive? I think sometimes I I want to watch movies like that for inspiration, but I know there are tons of uh Catholic families and they might substitute this for devotion, that they'll watch the Passion of the Christ during during Lent or uh on Good Friday and I thought, oh, well that's, maybe yeah, maybe you yeah. could go, go do Station of the Cross. I don't really see that as devotion. It was maybe a way to get uh Friday movie night in and uh get their <laughs> Lent and um it's so Interesting I,
1: I that you should Yeah, yeah.
0: That's interesting to mention
1: that, that, Stephen. Yeah, because uh, that's actually one of the points that I wanted to make. Amongst our traditional Catholics in Mexico, served by the Trento Fathers, uh, there is a... um, Well, at one time it must have been a tendency, but now it's an absolutely established custom, that the main event of Good Friday, and mind you, in Mexico, there are many competing devotional events that take place. There's uh, there's uh, what's called the, pes, the Pesame, the the, the the sermon that's preached in the evening uh, on the sorrows of Our Lady. There, there are several such devotions in addition to the to the Mass of the Pre-Sanctified. But what's taken first place has been, in effect, it's exactly what you're saying, entertainment. That uh, there is a a living way of the cross, and uh, that's the whole emphasis of the group's um, efforts during Lent. It's who's going to do what? It's a bit like the, uh, bit like the, uh, the, the play at Omer Ammergau in, in Germany, um, the, the writing of it, the, the production of it, the costumes, and that's what they do. People go and they watch; they're entertained as uh, people that they know produce a living way of the cross. Uh, that I think that has its role. And it can be very moving and very edifying, but you're right. It can't replace worship. Entertainment cannot replace worship. Uh, The best devotions and the best um, liturgy, uh, acts of of the sacred liturgy, take what is good about the concept of of entertainment, if you will, and uh, purify it and elevate it. And make it to be make it to be something far, far superior, but the modern world, with this you know because of our TV mentality movie mentality, this okay i 'm going to sit down here now, and you entertain me. The modern world uh, wants to pervert the notion there's, this, there there is, and we should sense that there 's a real conflict between those two, but I would say at some point during Lent, uh, at least for me it would be it would be very, very edifying. To, to to watch the movie again, um, and just maybe just just to refresh things, and I'm sure it's very personal too. And I, I don't really see the actor so much. Uh, what always strikes me most of all is the um, um, the, uh, the scourging of our Lord. The the, uh, the the depiction in that movie of the scourging of our Lord is so realistic and is so unsparing and so utterly unpalatable to the jews and to the modernists that it has to just draw the soul and it feeds you i think it uh it it assists you very much but but you're right that is not prayer it can feed your prayer it's prepare your prayer it's sort of like someone who um has replaced praying with reading so you might bring uh, an interesting holy book with you to church, and you spend your hour at Mass just reading. And that's entertaining, and you find it elevating to a certain degree, but you're not really praying. At some point, you need to close the book and start to pray, or turn off the, the movie,
0: and, and actually pray. So,
1: probably, as with anything else in life, it's a question of balance, do you think?
0: Sure. Uh, I, I think it, it, it's humorous to imagine. I, I think there are people who bring books. Uh, Let's say something like Introduction to the Devout Life, or or some other Mm -hmm. holy book, uh, Soul of the Apostolate, and they might bring that there to kickstart their mental prayer. They they're not good at sitting down and beginning, so they need something to get them started. But (laughs) that's at least a a more regular occurrence than someone being inspired to pray by a movie. Uh, I haven't usually heard that occurrence. Like, (laughs) as soon as the movie ends, you know what we need to do, or let's just stop the movie right now and start praying. Um, I think it's not a medium that necessarily lends itself to that kind of devotion. Again, I, and I think it's because of what you mentioned, it's, it's something that's uh, passive. It, it's, it's happening to you, whereas prayer is, it can't be like that until, it, obviously, you've ascended to the top of the interior castle where, where prayer is something that you have to happen yeah. to prayer, right? You have to be engaged yeah. in it, and uh, it's hard to do Certainly in a movie. You Certainly.
1: Now, I remember at St. Gertrude here, that's that's how that's how we did it. We we actually went to the theater. Uh, I think a group of us, and then on a Sunday afternoon, saw the movie, and then we came back here and uh, did several enthusiastically several devotions in a row, as I recall, sort of uh, inspired by having freshly seen the film. The one in the ideal order should certainly lead to the other, and it could, but m- maybe it doesn't because. You know the the tendency is to want to sit back, be entertained, and you have to resist the you have to resist the temptation for popcorn in a movie like that too, because it is it is really a a mixture of of mediums, if you will, and you do it you a little bit careful about that, I I, I think. But having said that, nonetheless, these these modern things are are not to be are not to be despised. They have their place, and that's probably it's all a question of moderation or balance. They have their place, but we need to um, we need to limit that. Uh, the more traditional we talk about books, the more traditional way to feed the fires of devotion and to um, harness and also direct the imagination in pious prayer, meditation, and the passion is is by means of of, of reading or of books. Uh, I I went to give a a mission at at another traditional church this this Lent and um, had a discussion with the priest, and it's one of those places, the priest claims, where you absolutely must recite the St. Alphonsus Stations of the Cross every Friday night without changing or omitting a single Our Father or Hail Mary or Glory Be uh, from each station or Elf it 's akin to some act of blasphemy or her- heresy, possibly apostasy it 's just unthinkable not to follow that absolute strict tradition while the the prayers of all of the prayers of Saint Alphonsus are so beautiful and very very effective and very very touching there are it 's same thing as devotional prayers for following mass. There are so many prayers out there there are so many saints who have written in such an edifying way. And everybody knows that it is a truth that to vary our devotions, whether it be devotions according to the season or the month of the year, or varying the texts that we use to follow a certain beloved devotion, in this case, the way of the cross, can only be helpful. So I think that the... Um, it was, I was giving a retreat for ladies, uh, Day of Recollection, and uh, there may have been some some question at the very start, but um, there there is a, uh, a beautiful... Way of the Cross, uh, the meditations written by a French priest, an Abbe uh, Robin, or Robin, who uh, wrote with uh, Way of the Cross for being with Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ. And it's something which appeals very much, I think, to women and to mothers in particular. And it's very evocative and very, very touching. Um, and that, that was helpful, but having said that... Uh, I noticed that, and I certainly don't want to give them a plug, but I noticed that Angelus Press has a uh, Way of the Cross book with a number of different stations of the cross, including uh, a set that I like very much, which is that of um, St. Letter to Port Maurice, uh, very, very touching and, and, and very effective. Um, the French have a tradition. This really shocked me at a cone. Um, the French have a tradition of writing Fresh way of the cross uh, for every for every time. Uh, so seminarians were assigned during Lent. There's no question of following Saint Alphonsus at Acon. Uh That tradition never made it. The French tradition was that the, a seminarian would be appointed to compose fourteen uh, the fourteen meditations for the way of the cross. And then at the end, in the French tradition, there is always the blessing with the relic of the True Cross. That's not in our in our country. The, the custom is the benediction of the Blessed Sacrament. But in, in, in French-speaking lands, it's the uh, it's connected with the the veneration of the relic of the True Cross. So that was a curious experience because you had these kids, you know, and they they certainly had a lot of pious thoughts. Uh, the quality of the writing, as I recall, was not inspired by any means, and and you felt sorry for them because they were extremely nervous. Um, they have to uh, to read these meditations in front of the clergy, as well as their fellow seminarians, none of whom was going to be shy about criticizing it later on. But uh, it was an, that was an interesting experience. But uh, that that goes to show that in each country and each tradition there are different ways of doing things and that it is it's okay there isn't only one one way there's one way to say mass or to give the sacraments but when it comes to uh, devotions there are many many devotions and many ways to perform them that can be e- effective so um the one of my favorite books of those kinds of meditations but really written or composed by a by a, by a master of the of the spiritual life is is this is, the book is entitled the royal road of the holy cross and uh, the the meditations for these different stations are given by or composed by a certain abbe Jean Robin, or abbe ROBIN uh they they are very very beautiful there's one uh, honoring our lady as the virgin priest there are several honoring the, uh, the sacred heart um, and it, I've, I've had a good result with that over the years. There, there are also, there's a way of the cross honoring the Holy Face, so that's sort of combining two devotions into one. There's um, a way of the cross called the Eucharistic way of the cross that I'd like to use during exposition on First Friday during Lent, which connects our Lord, his suffering of the way of the cross, and his uh, suffering now sacramentally in the in the Blessed Sacrament. Uh, then there, uh, in the different Marian manuals, connected with uh, Saint Louis de Montfort and the True Devotion, there's a very beautiful Way of the Cross uh, with Our Lady. So, uh, and then there are many, many others, including many short ones, which which can also be done. It's not. I should mention here, it's not necessary to do the Our Father, Hail Mary, and the Glory Be at each station. It is, if you're making uh, the stations privately at home to want to gain the plenary indulgence. But otherwise, in public recitation, that's not necessary, and maybe that's a little bit uh, fatiguing uh, to do it that way, particularly if other devotions are also going to take place uh, during the the, the time slot of the Way of the Cross. Um,
0: Well, So so, is that that a book you would recommend, Your Excellency? uh, That's a book that I...
1: Uh, e, uh, with one reservation it's, it's the the uh, the ways of the cross that are given I think they have ten or eleven they're very good and they're very traditional. The reservation of course is that at the end they have um uh, a little something on the indulgences and those are the paul the six indulgences, and you want to just um rip that part out because that's all from the conciliar church. So, uh, as, it's just as if you used uh, some kind of devotional text that maybe some conservative Novus Ordo group, there's really very little difference now between those two classifications uh, we, uh, would be would would be promoting. Take the good, and uh, but be very careful not to be taken in by any of the by any of the evil. Uh, obviously, for the the motivation of the. Way of the Cross, it's of the, the pilgrims making the actual Via Dolorosa in Jerusalem, and then the Way of the Cross over the centuries has been the attraction of the indulgences, Stephen. So I, sh- I should say a word about the what are the traditional indulgences that are given for the Way of the Cross. And then I'd like to say something about, well, how does that work in our context with a remnant church today and with the things being as they are in Rome? So, in the Recolta we read that the faithful who, with at least a contrite heart, whether singly or in company, perform the pious exercise of the way of the cross, when the latter has been legitimately erected according to the prescriptions of the Holy See, may gain a plenary indulgence, uh, totius quotesies, as often as they perform that way of the cross, and they may receive another plenary indulgence if they receive Holy Communion on the same day, or within a month after having made the stations at least 10 times. And then there's a partial indulgence of 10 years that's given for each station if for some reason you couldn't complete the entire 14 stations of the cross. And these same indulgences are given to those who uh, can't get to a church for some legitimate reason to make the way of the cross, and they are obliged to hold a crucifix, That has been blessed for that purpose and they should say in our father hail mary and glory be for each station and then think a little bit about the station and then at the end they should recite uh, five of of those prayers to honor the uh, five wounds of our lord and then oh here comes that uh, that bet noire again that appears in all of our prayers and uh, I think I've spoken about this before, but it's one of those things you can't repeat too often because it is a source of confusion. Now comes the phrase in the recolta and one, Our Father, Hail Mary, and glory be for the intentions of the sovereign pontiff. Dear listener, do not be confused by that. When we say intentions of the sovereign pontiff, we are not talking about Bergoglio and uh, his off-the-cuff remarks and the spread of the Pentecostal movement throughout the Confiliar Church, whatever, whatever it might be for this particular day or really, really, really getting along with your local rabbi uh, and, and lighting the Hanukkah candles. We're not interested in anything like that. That's a stylized phrase that that you will find used uh, in our in the calendar that we sell at St. Gertrude the Great Church, as well as in, in many, many books of devotion. You will find the explanation of that. It's the extirpation of heresy. It's the uh, exaltation of Holy Mother Church. Peace and concord uh... among christian princes and there's one or two other elevating and, and very wonderful intentions those that that's what that means you're praying for those intentions because in the old days when there actually was a pope that's what the pope wanted he wasn't worried about the rabbis and the, and the pentecostalist movement he was worried about these things this is what he was praying for so you pray for these things it has nothing at all to do with any false pope so
0: not to worry um, <laughs> that's well, the thing you mentioned, you, your, your, excellency, what, mm-hmm. what you know, the Pentecostals and that, that the, the, because yes. you know the Novus Ordo can't keep their grubby fingers off of anything, and they even managed no, to mess with the stations of the cross, haven't they? Oh yes, indeed. They, um,
1: in fact, we were talking about the uh, live or the living way of the cross. I'm reminded of this gruesome ceremony that takes place every year in downtown Cincinnati and gets a lot of publicity. And it's so, or oh, it's called the, the way of the cross for social justice, or something like that. And they visit the slums, and they, and they reflect about you know how we need to have more programs and more money, and uh, you feel sorry for the drug addicts, and let's get those clean needles available to them, things like that. Um, so, uh, like anything else that is good and holy, the devil is going to mock it somehow by creating a facsimile that might appeal to people, and this. Um, this uh way of the living way of the cross devotion connect connect with left wing uh political and social goals uh is very popular in in our city and is always is always hugely um uh reported in in the in the local uh, in the local media no, but that you know if we if we stick stick to the true stuff, I think we're going to be okay but having said that you know they really i mean there's an awful lot to be said for if you're able to especially if you're going to be doing it frequently during the week make the way of the cross yourself just with your own thoughts and meditations you've done you've seen the movies you've read the books uh you've listened to many many sermons look listen begin with a prayer to the holy ghost and ask our lady's help and just look at the pictures or on or in the book or on the on the wall of the church or just um close your eyes and imagine a little bit. Uh, that is, so the way of the cross can be an excellent form, not only of uh, the, um, of the pa- devotion to the passion of Christ, which is enough, remember St. Bonaventure says, to um, melt the most frozen of hearts and to, and to warm the coldest of spirits. And it's it's also just a wonderful form of, of mental prayer. So... Um, you, you can you can write your own, in effect, if you would like to, not necessarily putting it down in words, although there'd be no reason why you couldn't do your own little meditations as the French seminarians Eddie Cohn used to do. Um, but the idea is make it your own personal prayer, your own form of meditation. So then here might be a, a good place to talk about, well, what about gaining the indulgences in our traditional chapels or churches? Um, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that the... Um, Franciscans own the way of the cross, as it were. It's their copyright. It's all patented. So uh, to, they controlled, the, uh, they controlled the, the setting up of the way of the cross. So if you wanted to, if, uh, if when a new church was built in the old days, then you had to either get a Franciscan to come in and to erect the way of the cross, the pastor did, or you had to uh, have faculties. And I think, generally speaking, in America, the faculties were were accorded, perhaps to certain religious or to to certain priests, but it came through the Chancery Office to the bishop. And you'll you'll find that probably the the document is still there, on the walls of many a sacristy. In the framed document section, you find the the certificate for the erection of the valid erection of the of the Way of the Cross. Um, For that to be done, by the way. The only essential thing is that there be 14 wooden crosses at some distance, the one from the other. The pictures themselves are not required, but if you do have pictures, they have to be the pictures that match the the correct list of the authentic or traditional uh, way of the cross. For a while in the Novus Ordo and the 70s, it became trendy to have the 15th station, which is the resurrection. And I don't know if the Novus Erdo is still into that or if they, they let that one go. Uh, but obviously in, in the Catholic Church there are, there are 14, and the last is uh, the burial of Christ in the uh, Holy sepulcher. Now, what about for our traditional churches? Who, who are you going to ask? Aren't you going to get permission? Um, for, for many of these things, for the scapular, for enrollments, for many, many indulgences. Uh, This is where that principle of epikia, the appeal to the the lawgiver or the mind of the lawgiver, would come in. And then there's a certain amount of, uh, you might say... uh, pious hope or desire on our part but at the end of the day as they say we leave it up to almighty god's goodness and his mercy am i going to get an indulgence from this or not i never know that because the conditions required for a plenary indulgence uh, include uh, a perfect contrition and and who uh, who knows if he you know, scripture says, you know, who knows if he's worthy of, of condemnation or of praise of God? You know, who knows if I if I really have managed to elicit, even though it's fairly easy, this act of perfect confession because it's connected with this idea, the resolution, I will not sin again. So, under the best of circumstances, it's hard. You you don't know if you've really gained an indulgence or not. You you piously hope so, and then you put your trust and your confidence in the mercy of our Lord. Even more so today in our traditional churches, where um, unless you have a bishop hanging around, not, with a bishop it's different. There 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 are uh, privileges attached simply to the valid consecration of a bishop. That would enable something like this to be done—the erection of this of the way of the cross. A bishop can do. And specifically, I wanted to mention this: the bishop has the power, just from being a consecrated bishop, a Catholic bishop, he has the power to bless a way, a crucifix, to be used for the private way of the cross. So therefore, um, if you know a bishop. Get him just to bless, and he just blesses it with the ordinary form of blessing, but with the intention to impart, if possible, the indulgences of making the way of the cross. Then you can make the way of the cross that way with your Our Fathers and Hail Marys, 20 in total, and be. either at home or or in a church or in a chapel or outdoors, an outdoor way of the cross, something like that. This whole field of indulgences, as I say, it's not, we can't approach it mathematically. We never really could as Catholics. We never did, really. But, but you can't do that anymore at all today because of all of the, the doobie, all the doubts and all the questions about, about authority and jurisdiction and what applies and what doesn't apply. Um, so we leave that to the, to the mercy of God, but keep in mind about that, that a bishop can bless a cross. And he can bless that way very easily the cross on your rosary. So if you have your rosary in hand, you, can, you, can, you, can, you have a better chance of being confident that you could gain the indulgences that way uh, in, in, a, in a more of a modern church. than something that we ourselves have set up since the changes.
0: But it sounds like a great work-from-home option. You're excellent. Okay. <laughs> Good. You, then once, once 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 you have that cross, you're able you're able to those those of us who don't have access to a church readily can can do our work from home sometimes. Absolutely, and 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 I,
1: I encourage that. And so, for example, maybe the Catholic family then we were speaking of earlier might want to watch uh, the Gibson film during Lent, and then do together the Way of the Cross during Lent. Every every child, every member of the family. Holding a cross, which has thus been blessed by a bishop, and then they're pretty confident that they may be able to gain to, to gain the indulgences. Another thing I thought I would mention is um, something that I do personally from time to time—a uh, sort of a combination of devotions—and I think that it would work—is in reciting the sorrowful mysteries in church, and of course we have our. Stations of the Cross that we have, you know, that were blessed and erected uh, in our new church about ten years ago by myself as a bishop, and then I'm, I'm confident that that the indulgences would then be attached according to the mind of the church. Although I'm not sure of it, I'm confident. But sometimes when I get to the last two sorrowful mysteries, I'll say them walking around the way of the cross, visiting each one while I'm saying the the, the mysteries of the Our Lord Carries His Cross and the crucifixion and death of Our Lord, then because uh, as you're making the way of the cross, that way no particular prayer is really required. Uh, So if you're saying the prayer of the rosary, you're reciting your rosary, and at the same time, you are also making the way of the cross, which um, is a help. For promoting devotion, why? Because you're doing something a little different. You're changing it a little bit. Maybe your your mind won't wander so much, and you receive a little bit of renewed spiritual energy by uh, by injecting that element into it. Actually, of visiting, then you're meditating on the way of the cross. Well, why not look at the pictures of the way of the cross? That's going to be a help, a help for devotion. So that's something that um, I've I've done that myself and some of the listeners. May want to try that. They, they, might, they might find that to be, a, be an aid to devotion. That's the point, though, with all of this. Really, it's what we're talking about is, is, is devotion—a a way to, to promote devotion, um, especially the personal devotion and the, the, the way of the cross um, done personally. There's something in the old days. I remember as, as uh, growing up in the old days, you would see people. Catholics um, before and after daily Mass, for example, making the way of the cross. Sometimes with our people in a sermon, I'll, I'll lament that you don't see that anymore. That, uh, even more so than the public way of the cross during Lent, has died out. That's a sad thing. Why is it a sad thing? Because it's an act of personal devotion. It engages the body and the senses. So uh, it's the whole the whole man, Body and soul, honoring our Lord on the Via Dolorosa, the sorrowful journey that leads to uh, the death of the Son of God and man's eternal life, our, our redemption. But to participate in it, body and soul, that way, if possible, by making the genuflections, is is an excellent form of prayer because it's 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 your it's yours it's personal it's something you can do. You're getting out of the movie theater mode that's a, a danger that i notice with our catholics part of it is simply you know this idea that um religion becomes a routine and mass becomes an obligation um, and the idea of a personal input that's maybe just while well, I'm here in the pews, I may go up to the communion rail, and I may put something in the collection basket at the offertory. But that's the end of it. So at our church, for example, we have lots of shrines and devotions to promote the devotions throughout the year. But I notice that most people pay no attention to them. They simply come in. if They remember the genuflect. They're in their one place in the pew where they always kneel each Sunday. And then they leave at the end of the service, and that's that. Uh, some don't even stay for the prayers after Mass. But um, the, anything that we can get Catholics to do, starting with childhood, but really all the way through, which would entail a personal devotion, the use of a little tiny bit of imagination and a, maybe a little bit of a spirit of reverence and of sacrifice, will help to stir up the embers. We spoke of the ember days before. The, the embers of devotion in, in, in a Catholic heart And um, there's no better way, as St. Bonaventure says, who was a great Franciscan, than by the devotion to the Passion of our Lord. Catholics should make the way of the cross. They should make it all year round. It's it's an excellent preparation for the Mass because the Mass is, if you will, in another sense, a living, sacramental way of the cross. And uh, it's, it's, it's it's a wonderful way to make a visit to the Blessed Sacrament, a wonderful way to prolong our thanksgiving after Holy Communion, um, and also to receive God's graces for different things for which we are praying. So the idea of your personal activity, your participation, your sacrifice, uh, that's got to be connected with the keeping and the passing on of our Catholic faith. We have our forefathers who went all the way to the Holy Land. Imagine to 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 make this sorrowful way. We should at least take advantage of it. And if we can't do it, if we don't have a church, or we can't do it at church, we should at least uh, we should at least do these things at, at home. Um, oh, another thing I wanted to mention is how the way of the cross was done in Italy and in Rome. Because the churches and the basilicas were are so very large, um, the the custom was for the priest to be accompanied by the faithful, uh, the small group of them that were making stations, and they would go from one station to another. In the church. So every, in other words, you wouldn't just stay in your pew. In the old days in, 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 in Rome and in Italy, the churches did not have pews. Pews were pretty much of a Protestant construct. You were free to move around. So uh, they would all accompany the priest, and it would actually become a procession for everybody. When there's a small group making, say, a day of recollection or a retreat, that's a nice way to do the way of the cross. And then that's also how the way of the cross was done in the Colosseum. The popes uh, during the Renaissance, late Renaissance uh, had the uh, 14 Stations of the Cross set up in the Colosseum, and a Franciscan would lead stations there for the pilgrims to Rome every Friday throughout the year until the uh, Masonic uh, in- invasion of Rome. Uh, that as with many things came to an end, but the idea that the faith force are going themselves, walking from one station to another, that too is an assistance, obviously for children that 's going to help um, but uh, even for adults it's a, it's a spur to devotion. Anything we can do to get people to be personally devoted to get a little bit out of the routine um, is is going to be very, very helpful, so that these devotions
0: don't die out. You know, you mentioned about uh, coming in and ignoring the other shrines, and for those of you or listeners who haven't been to Saint Gertrude's, um, they have lots of them. There's a, a baby, a baby Jesus, a Doctor Jesus uh, devotion from, um, which is I think it's on the uh, uh, gospel side. Yes,
1: it is. It's, we have, we have a, sort of a children's corner with a statue of the baby sacred heart, the, the little baby Jesus, the doctor of the sick, and then the um, angels and the guardian angel in particular. So um, that's, and I, that's and I think that, one
0: of the right? And I think that part of that challenge sometimes is uh, uh, churches that have pews, we, there's a difference between you know a church that has pews and, and letting pews dictate the way we are in church. So I think yeah. sometimes it challenges challenge is everyone sees. It. It's oriented towards the altar, which it's supposed to. But what that means mm-hmm. is we have to ignore everything else. So if you remove right. the yeah. pews, it, it, if, if the faithful can mentally remove the pews for a, mo- a moment and stand in the mm-hmm. space of the church, in this holy space, they can right. see that 360 degrees they're surrounded by things that are trying to elevate you. Yes, our Lord is right there at the center. He's, in, he's forward. But there mm-hmm. are other other ways around. And I think sometimes you could say a queue driven mentality means I'm here and then I have to leave. Uh, there's no other reason for me to be in church except maybe for confession sometimes. And that's and that's that true. in in a way I'd I wouldn't say it's like a library, but sometimes if you look at a library, those who love books might browse around. In the same mm-hmm. way that you talked about these devotions. You I don't want to say I, I don't want to be profane and say you're browsing devotions, but what I'm saying is there's a discovery there. There's a way for someone to, to examine something. I think a lot of the times, especially, see, both of us have had experiences within abbeys, we will observe during, let's say, a, um, a conventional mass or conventional holy hour, we would watch other faith, the religious with their own practices and that's a lot of times how we would learn uh, a devotion to ourselves. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of the ways I saw, I learned that Stations of the Cross were not Lenten in my teenage mm-hmm. years was watching, you know, a priest go around and he would just stop at each station for about 30 seconds to a minute. And clearly he wasn't doing the St. Alphonsus. He was just stopping, meditating, thinking, right. and moving on. And then I adopted that because I saw that. But again, that's that's because of looking at the church almost as an organism of devotion. That there, are The Mass is there, Rosaries there, Benedictions there, but there are all these other things that can help drive your holy thoughts and I think perhaps sometimes Pew's can get in. The, I don't think they they necessarily get in the way of that. But I think a pew driven mentality can get in the way of that.
1: They can that. And then as, as we were speaking earlier, the let me entertain you mentality that the uh, so the church arranged with pews resembles a movie theater or um, a place that you would go maybe to watch a sporting event something like that. So you go you you go to your your seat and you watch what's going on and then at the end of it you go away and there isn't anything else that could you know that's the only reason you should say that, that's the only reason you're there and then you then you just leave afterwards that's a world there's a world of difference between that and the traditional concept of a church which is oh lord i have loved the beauty of thy house the place where thy glory dwelleth and all of, all of the saints who are there and our lady the queen of saints and all of the assistance all the help that's given for, for your devout life. And that whole idea of visiting the church uh, on an off day, at an off time, just when you're the only person in church, you're making a visit to the Blessed Sacrament, and you might, you might go to your particular favorite saint, you might light a candle and say a prayer. See, that's the personal devotion. That's what's very important. That's what's been lost. And it's a, it's a struggle, I'm not at all convinced we're winning it. But it's a struggle for the the hearts of our faithful. Because if they will do that, and they will do that perseveringly, not just on the spur of the moment or once or twice in a lifetime, but perseveringly by habit, by holy habit, then they'll keep their faith and they'll pass the faith on to others. But if they don't, if it's more the entertainment model or the obligation model, of of church life, of church attendance, I should say, uh, then the danger is that that's just a a dreary duty. And then dreary duties we like to shuffle off and get rid of. That's the story of the success of the changes, isn't it? That uh, so many priests, as well as so many people, viewed everything as just an obligation under pain of sin. And once the the pain of sin was removed, well, now we're home free. This is great. Uh, But then the faith (laughs) collapsed with it. (laughs) So... uh, We have to we have to sort of put it put it back together again as as well as we can uh, sometimes when uh, we 're talking about visiting a church, sometimes when i 'm conducting a day of recollection for children between the talks or for adults, I urge them specifically to do that, so you may never have done that. Just make a visit, go around to all the different altars and all the different shrines, look, say a little prayer that 's a good use of your time during this uh, this day of recollection of course that 's a good use of anybody 's time. Uh, at any point when it's when visiting a church.
0: One of the things I wanted to circle back to, Your Excellency, because we do have Novus Ordo listeners, people who attend the Novus Ordo, and I had mentioned earlier that uh, the Novus Ordo couldn't keep their hands off stations of the cross, and, and again, the same thing that we hear with the justification of the luminous mysteries, which we'll get to in another show when we get to the rosary, but uh, there was instituted the scriptural Stations of the Cross, and I think you, you touched on it earlier. One of the great things about the Stations of the Cross is it in, it is part of how Catholics receive their faith. It's not solely from Scripture. It's not solely from tradition. It's a mixture of both. And what's interesting about the traditional Stations of the Cross it's a, it's a fairly balanced mix of both. And with these yeah. new, I guess, uh, scriptural Stations of the Cross, I just call them the Novus Ordo Stations of the Cross. Um, there's a focus on well, we can only do a Station of the Cross if it's in Scripture. Which I think is an unfortunate way to look at a devotion,
1: because yeah, the rose is definitely the, not in
0: scripture. Sure, that's 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 going to be.
1: Um, Chikat and I were discussing the other day about the um, local missiles in France uh, during the Jansenist uh, movement over over several centuries, really, and how. Uh, many missiles, say the the Missal of Paris, for example, were rewritten under Jansen's influence in the uh, 16th and 17th centuries to um, reflect this rule, what uh, Dom Guéranger calls the anti-liturgical heresy. One of the the rules of that heresy was that nothing can be used unless it's specifically in Scripture. But having said that, on the other hand, uh, it's uh, really a shame that for us, Scripture loses its appeal and its glow because it was used. It is used by the bad guys to destroy religion. That is to say, they would say, "Okay, now we're going to study the Bible. We've got to. We Catholics have got to get back to the Bible like the Protestants do." So what do they do? They they study the the Scripture supposedly, but then they deconstruct it. Nothing means anything. There are no. I just read recently some Novus Ordo type saying that there are oh some great experts that there's absolutely no no prophecies of our Lord, no messianic prophecies in the old Testament. There's nothing to do with the new Testament. It's just totally, which is, you know, so false. It couldn't be more false. So if we're talking about a scriptural way of the cross, what a, what a lovely concept it would be to, to build in a type of Christ carrying the cross, which is found in the old Testament, in the book of Genesis, Isaac carrying the wood for the sacrifice up Mount Horeb, uh, as bidden by his father, Abraham, because Abraham has been told by God to sacrifice his only begotten son. Uh, so that's that's an Old Testament type. That's very rich. That's very beautiful. And it ties in then, with the, the prophecies that one would read on Holy Saturday. And it gives our faithful a better idea and an appreciation of the role of the Old Testament, which all points its way to the New. And it's also... All right. For want of a better term, it's very poetic. It's, it's, it's very moving to the soul to consider these things. Our Lord is the divine Isaac. He carries his, his, his cross, the wood of the sacrifice, up the hill by himself, but he's not spared at the end. There's no angel that, that's, that stops the, 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 the knife, no, because the Eternal Father sacrifices his son. So it's, it's very, very rich, very deep, and, and very holy. Um, there is, one, there is uh, one of the ways of the cross, which I like very much. I think it still might be published by, of all people, Collegeville Press, which are otherwise Benedictine modernists, 100%, of, um, based on old liturgical texts, the scriptures, and then old liturgical texts including the Franciscan Masses of the Passion I spoke of at the beginning. Um, that's, that's very beautiful. That, that, that's very rich, too. So um, I think in our devotions, we Catholics have to be careful to be Catholic, uh, small C and capital C both. There's a tremendous amount of devotional literature that's out there from mm, different liturgical sources, from the saints, from Catholic tradition, from Scripture too, obviously, because we're Catholics, the Scriptures are ours, and, and that's all extremely helpful. Uh, and it should be our job, as part of well, you know, your Restoration Radio. So it's our job to restore, and part of the restoration is to reclaim that which is, has been covered by dust, and or that those traditions that are even in our own day, in the like way of the, the way of the cross, they're in the process of dying out. What a shame, what a tragedy that is we have to We have to revive them not by some kind of a modernist jargon type approach or perversion, but by by discovering what they are and then very lovingly, very respectfully using them and and in all of their um, their wonderful variety that really will promote our devotional lives
0: you know Your Excellency, one of the things I wonder about you know the the pre-Vatican II Church, again, the church before I was born, was the idea of passion plays? You've alluded to it in Mexico, and we know, of course, it happened in Europe. Was there ever anything like that in in the United States as you were growing up? Was that something that you saw, or was it something that never really caught on here in in America?
1: Oh, no, very much so. Um, In fact, the... the I think the Protestants have some imitation of that now at some, you know, vacation-type spots as part of the summer, summer offerings in different states. But uh, I don't remember anything growing up in Detroit. But certainly in Cincinnati, with its rich German Catholic heritage, there was a tradition of a Passion play that was performed uh, at St. John's Church, which has now been torn down for for decades in uh, the over the Rhine section of Cincinnati, which was a heavily German Catholic uh, settlement right in the heart of the city of Cincinnati. And that, I've got to think, I've never researched it, but I've got to think that was perhaps connected with or at least inspired by the Bavarian passion play of Oberammergau. So, uh, oh yes, uh, that, that 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 is certainly something that was done, because that's a form of just like watching these movies you spoke of earlier, it's a form of pious entertainment. That is, entertainment plus, plus it, it, and it has a way of making the faith, in this case the passion of our Lord, come alive for people, because it actually is a live performance. Mm. Oh, and speaking of the Novus Ordo, I want to, I think we're probably getting towards the end of our time, but I wanted to, to mention one curious little incident that uh, that, uh, that happens each year on the Friday nights of Lent. Not that many of our people attend stations anymore, but at least for a few of the stations, there's always an old gentleman who attends with a real strong voice and participates uh, very, very enthusiastically in anything you possibly participate in. And he comes with some, I, I presume, members of his family. And he comes only for stations on Friday nights during Lent because... All of the Novus Ordo parishes around us do not have stations anymore. Of course not. And he believes that you've got to go to stations still because that's how he was raised. So there, And I can picture him telling him as a Novus Ordo pastor, well, if you won't do stations, I'm going to go over to St. Gertrude's because they still have stations there, and the pastor probably just shrugs his shoulders. So he comes every, I think, every Lent. He shows up with some family members, and he simply comes for stations because he is not willing to, to give that up. He's, he's willing even to cross over the threshold of our wicked, evil, schismatic church because we have stations. And that's, that's the pull. That's the attraction. And I'm, I've been so edified by this man over the years. I've preached about him and told other people about him. What a great example it is to our Catholics. They they all they're asked to do is to come back to their church, no 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 penal, no canonical penalties entailed at all to perform this devotion, but I guess we're busy doing other things on Saturday night or Friday night, excuse me, and we're just, just
0: too busy for that. So in that case, make the stations throughout the year. Well, and and uh, and Father Chagas told me you guys don't do Friday fish fries, so I know they're not busy cooking fish. No, <laughs> no they're not cooking uh, fish.
1: That is certainly true. So we they, do they, they, do they, a. They, uh, we have a delicious Friday night, uh, <laughs> Friday night um, uh, potluck and different of the faithful bring in dishes to share, meatless dishes to share. And it's very, it's very convivial and very nice. I have to say, Lent is my favorite time of the year. Um, And uh, I enjoy it very much. And this is one of our beloved customs. And you actually eat very well, and it's a nice chance to socialize and visit with others. We have have an evening mass, and then we have potluck dinner, and then we have stations, cum various devotions, but like a sort of Lenten holy hour, starting at Mm. 7.30.
0: So I, I think one of the biggest takeaways I had intended from this, uh, topic today, Your Excellency, and I think you very much delivered. Is the idea of making sure that stations are not a Lenten devotion for you? That there's yes. there's no reason to think of them. Yes, obviously they, there's an there's an extra dimension to them within Lent, but it mm-hmm. should not it, it it should along with the Rosary, I, I think, be part of. Um, your basket of devotions. Then again, the church—the uh, mind of the church—is that you know everyone has their own devotions that that work best for them. But I think this is right. one that, like the rosary, touches on so many important mysteries of the faith that it's almost something you you, you can't really ignore. It's something that you, you should at least consider making part of of your routine.
1: You should. And if you break out of your routine and pray pray this way, you you will find. It's a great help, it's a great assistance to getting the prayers done or said, and, and to piety. It's a bit like the same principle as the rosary. There's something physical involved. With the rosary, you're fingering the beads, and you're thinking of scenes, and you're moving your lips. With the stations, you're actually moving your feet, and you're going from one station to another. You're looking at the pictures, and you're, you're walking with Christ. So the body, as well as the soul, is engaged in prayer, so the whole man is at prayer. And that's that's got to be a terrific benefit to anyone's spiritual
0: life. Absolutely. For those of you who are just joining us, we're at the very end of our uh, Devotions with Bishop Dolan show, Episode 2, um, Stations of the Cross. Um, my guest today has been His Excellency Bishop Daniel Dolan. So if you're you're tuning in at the end of the broadcast, don't worry. In a few minutes, the stream will stop, and uh, the full podcast will upload, and then you can go back and listen to the show from the beginning. Uh, his Excellency has lots of different apostolates that he's involved in necessarily as a bishop in the current time that we find ourselves. And you can follow his work and support his work um, with with not just prayers, but uh, with with funds and contributions at sggresources.org. And there you'll also find uh, some new videos, that, uh, new DVDs that are now available on that site, which include... His Excellency celebrating uh, Pontifical Low Mass, and you'll be able to um, purchase that and see how that, how that works um, in the full liturgical splendor that St. Gertrude uh, usually puts on. If you want to follow our work, go to truerestoration.org. And you can see all the different social media channels that we're part of, uh, as well as a link back to the radio show, which His Excellency has been so gracious to continue to appear on with us. We know that you're very busy, Your Excellency, and um, we're always uh, grateful for uh, your time with us.
1: Oh, you're very welcome, Stephen. This is certainly—I think is developing into speaking of an apostle. This is a very good apostolate in and of itself, and um, I'm delighted to be your guest here.
0: Thank you so much, and uh, You're we'll, welcome. we will announce the next devotional show, uh, Anon. But uh, for now, uh, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much, Your Excellency. You're welcome. God bless you.